0: Hey, it's Ross Baden with Robeland Public Radio. This is RPPR episode 174, Skills in RPGs. And with me uh, is Caleb. Yep. Yep. <laughs> I am indeed here. You are indeed here. Uh, because this episode, we're going to be talking about the role of skills in RPGs. From uh, the old school, you know, proficiency systems in D&D to newer implementations to uh, RPGs that don't have skills at all. Like powered by the Apocalypse games because they they don't have them. <laughs> yeah uh so we're talking about the good the bad what what we like about various skill systems what we don't uh all of that kind of fun stuff um so a bit of news first um so as i've mentioned before uh burke and i are launching a music review podcast called night clerk radio haunted music reviews and uh by the time this episode is posted our website should be live wait
1: is the music review haunted are you reviewing haunted music haunted music okay all yeah
0: right. i mean we might be haunted too i mean technically we're all haunted by the past of reviews, apparently. Yeah, yeah. Okay. <laughs> uh, so we'll have the website up with a trailer, uh, sort of a little two minute preview about what our podcast is going to be about, and we should be launching before the end of February with a couple with three episodes. And uh, yeah, I'm looking uh, forward to it. So if you want to hear about vaporwave, dark ambient, uh, dungeon synth, and malsoft, and vapor trap, and uh, all kinds of music subgenres you've never heard of, or maybe heard of and are terrified or confused by, then Burke and I will help elucidate about
1: it. I have listened to a couple episodes. Mm -hmm. You guys actually know what you're talking about in this (laughs) stuff, which is very... On RPPR in terms of preparation, um, wow! I plan to insinuate myself on some episodes just mm-hmm. to bring the tone down a bit. Uh, okay, and, and yeah, you get a little too full yourself. <laughs> your, yeah, that's your high fluting, book learning, and mm-hmm. vocabulary. And I'll... I was about to
0: get a V-neck shirt and some tattoos. Yeah, um,
1: and I'm gonna jump in there and be like, "I like the part that went wow, 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 <laughs> wow, 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 yes. and that'll be my contribution I as mean, usual.
0: I mean, it's, a, it's a good contribution. I mean, yeah.
1: It's a little too chummy in there. You gotta lower <laughs> the tone. Uh,
0: yeah, we actually will have, we'll, we we'll have guests every once in a while. So, uh, yeah. And Caleb will be our first guest. Uh, mm-hmm. and, uh, can't, you can't, it'll be the most, uh, Caleb and Ross album, uh, <laughs> <laughs> that we talk about on that episode, but that'll be a surprise for the future. Ooh. Uh, but yeah, so, um, let's just get into it because, you know, uh, it's I want to talk about skills and RPGs. Okay. So, uh, yeah. After our last episode uh, on alien, the RPG, I was really struck by the fact that they have 12 skills in the game and that's it. And that covers the totality of what you can do in the alien RPG. Uh, but they are interestingly implemented because they, every single skill had several stunts to describe what you could do very, if you succeed very well in a role, how you could improve results. Um, So I thought I really liked this is sort of a something I've only seen on RPGs in the last couple of years, like maybe five or six years. This kind of like simplified but elegant. It's not rules light because the alien RPG has got got enough crunch. You can't really call it rules light. But like it's, you know, comparing games from way back in the day when D&D grudgingly added proficiencies, you know, (laughs) to uh, I don't know if you're familiar with those, but those were. Uh, they were, they were kind of tacked on as an afterthought. <laughs> but that's most of D and D systems back yeah. in the day. Um, to stuff like in the nineties, the GURPS. Let's have three hundred skills and yeah. uh, Our are different climbing down and climbing up skills. Well, that's Palladium. My that's my favorite. That's Palladium, and yeah. that that's a percentile system. And
1: well, I think we're correcting yeah. from the the justified sprint away from simulation as gaming, mm-hmm. uh, which I, I agree we should. Run. Yeah, run away from that. <clears throat> and but saying, I, I also think we're far enough and developed enough in the indie space now that mm-hmm. we've sort of gone too far in the other direction into games that are like that fucking joke tweet, like, gumption, cut of your jib, <laughs> a certain je ne quoi, like, like a fake core game where it's just like, I, I, I do it with a, a sheer wanting to yeah yeah exactly like it's uh yeah it gets a little loosey-goosey abstract and i'm not saying that's bad but like mm-hmm. i think that is also um left a sour taste in some people's mouths or sure. like left people laughing in an experience and so i think you're getting like stuff like a pared down um skill system that mm-hmm. is more elegant with the like the 12 skills Do yeah they have specializations i haven't read the book yet
0: not an alien no
2: yeah it's, see
1: like that's how i got around it in red markets mm-hmm. I, I paired the skills down a little bit, but i'm like okay if you want to
0: the fill in the blank option. yeah yeah if you yeah, want to yeah. learn
1: how to fire a howitzer maybe yeah. that's a special shoot skill like uh but uh, some people aren't even doing that anymore which i think is fine depending on like the level of game you're going to run. like mm-hmm. From what I've heard about alien runs, I don't think you have to worry about running into a campaign where you're going to need that many special skills because, yeah. you know, there'll be Xenomorphs eventually and then... Yeah. You're all going to die. <laughs> yeah, I mean yeah. a lot
0: of like skills in RPGs it comes down to expectations of like what your game should be about. And like back in the 80s and 90s and early 2000s it was like this is the the this, like you mentioned the simulationist view which is this is the engine to run your reality and it can encompass all things within this very broad category like fantasy. So the D&D 3rd Ed is a fantasy simulation engine and you can do anything within that.
1: Yeah, um, yeah, also moving away from that whole like grand unified theory of rpgs yeah where people are just my game does this one thing yeah exactly and being okay with that Mm -hmm. which is a is a more recent development
0: yeah it's like the the focus not not even a genre thing but like we're gonna do heists in dishonor not dishonored yeah uh like blades in the dark yeah
1: and necessary Mm -hmm. uh because yeah you can't that whole 12 skill thing i don't think it works if you're doing like a system like that is supposed to be in multiple settings. Like, yeah. Yeah. Like what's my magic skill is mm-hmm. it heavy machinery. Like, you know, that kind of stuff. Yeah. You know. yeah, yeah.
0: Um, yeah. Don't you don't run D and D the alien RPG.
1: Yeah. So yeah. And more people are finally not doing that. Thank yeah. God. Uh, so, well they're
0: doing the opposite, which is still, I mean, well they've always done this taking D and D and trying to make it do everything else. Yeah. Well, uh, people will be fools regardless.
1: <laughs> um, but yeah, I think the the uh, it's really a comfort with abstraction, mm-hmm. uh, and I think it's also like a a discomfort with certain amount of abstraction because like at this point in the indie space, you can get as abstract you want. Like it's mm-hmm. it's, I mean, Baron Munchausen looks like rules heavy compared to certain RPGs that are out yeah. there now. It's like uh, so, I think it's really looking for a, a middle ground in the Venn diagram. Mm-hmm. But like also those 80s RPGs, a lot of it wasn't simulation. It was fucking um, gamist, like people who just wanted to power game. Like a lot of those rules weren't there to simulate anything. Like, Yeah,
0: there, there is this idea, like um, the, the, the thing that I became aware of when I was learning D&D third ed, which is the, the, the trap option conundrum, which is the idea is that you present a number of things to a player. And some of them are are bad like they're just you're going to make an inferior character one who's not as powerful as other characters that they choose this like in D&D, if you choose the toughness feat oh you get plus three hit points whereas if you choose this feat you're you'll like kill your enemy faster or you'll cast a more powerful spell but you have those three extra hit points which three extra hit points is nothing even at level yeah one. the
1: dark souls ring that does nothing like, yeah exactly yeah, that kind of stuff so like
0: do you the question is the game designer do you make a game where everyone can make a like what level of system mastery are you expecting of your player? Yeah. So, uh, But
1: also, like, I think it's also in there, like, exploits. Like, mm-hmm. people are including, well, if I take this, this, and this, I can do 18 attacks per round. And oh, like, sure. Like, and that was also a deeply 80s gaming kind of thing. And, and yeah. like, making these horribly min-maxed characters. But, like, that used to be the fun of RPGs for a lot of people. And it still is for some, but I think... I think I mean yeah I think another thing in the I 80s think the hobby has matured oh well yeah and that's where we get the elegant skill yeah. systems we're seeing today
0: um, I think another common thing uh, that led to this was sort of like the credentialism and sort of and, and it's still there but like the CV resume thing of like 80s games yeah where like games like uh, Traveler. And Twilight Two Thousand, have you? Are you familiar with those?
1: Yeah, you're trying to build up your character's past his, history in numbers, not narrative.
0: Well, like, yeah, you served four years in this yeah. thing, and you gain these skills, and yeah. so it's like it reads like a resume. You can
1: die in character creation, that right? Person.
0: But like, it, yeah, if you survive, you gain like you min max your thing by having a very varied career, and like mm-hmm. you can you could like <laughs> literally write his resume. <clears throat> um, and I mean, it certainly shows. Like, I think, yeah, the idea that if you have these sort of like certifications where your character is just more powerful than someone else, you know, who has maybe inherent potential, but not like that training. So like, yeah. um, Yeah. It says a lot about what you expect of the genre. And like, I mean, that's travelers like military slash hard sci-fi where like, of course, everyone's going to be like a NASA from future NASA or future, you know, air force or space force or whatever. (laughs) And so of course they're going to be better than someone who doesn't have the best training and the best, uh, uh, connections and that kind of thing. That's just that's just how it is, you mm-hmm. know. You, if you're not Buzz Aldrin, you ain't shit. Or Chuck Yeager, you ain't shit. You yeah. Um, so uh, yeah, I don't know. I, I um, like, do you feel like those kind of games still have a place today, or do you feel like uh, like
1: the dozens and hundreds of skills? Mm-hmm. Um, I don't know. Like maybe if your setting demands it. So like one game I kind of forgive it in is like, um, like Eclipse Face. Mm-hmm. Uh, and in second edition particularly like so first edition yeah. of Cliff's Face like I remember playing long terms of it. it was like what the fuck's the difference between impersonate and disguise like oh yeah am I doing an impression of someone while not wearing costume and that's a different skill like and the, you know that you know that stuff was never clearly explained and there were some mm-hmm. redundancies in it I think that's fixed a lot yeah in the second edition however there's still a shit ton of skills but it's because like a close phase as a setting is enormous. Like, mm-hmm. you could be swimming on the Europa, <laughs> or you could end
0: up, like... Uh, on a planet you, outside the galaxy.
1: Yeah, park through Mars, or you yeah. could end up, like, doing a Stargate kind of thing. And, mm-hmm. like, that could be one campaign with mm-hmm. different bodies the entire time. So, like, I think you need a setting as various... Varied enough to justify your your skill number. Yeah. Because, um, like, what are you going to be doing in it? Um. I also think the apocalypse world is interesting because, like, you're obviously designing your character to do specific things because you have mm-hmm. a focus in mind. So just make those the moves and then anything else you abstract to an attribute test. Yeah. Which I think is – uh, I prefer to um, fate because at least there's more niche protection because mm-hmm. fate, if you can talk your way around –
0: or if you have enough fate points to burn,
1: yeah, I've got enough fate points, or you can talk your way around to like, oh yeah, that's an aspect, yeah. and like convince their DM <laughs> you can get away with fucking anything. So, yeah, um, yeah I, I, I don't know. I think I think it's a comfort with abstraction and narrative, mm-hmm. um, but understanding that even abstraction has its limits. And, yeah,
0: yeah. I mean, I can see the the the. I think I I. I will guess. I will hazard a guess about like their intent for first edition uh, Eclipse Phase. The the idea that impersonating someone is such a powerful ability in eclipse phase they wanted to make it harder for the character to be good at it you know yeah, what I yeah. mean? like like maybe yeah, and that's the thing like how useful should every skill be like what is a skill specifically like um, like in first ed they they and I think they still do in second ed um, having run you know a lot of sessions of it um, they still have free fall versus like athletics which is like free fall zero micro yeah, yeah yeah and like athletics is with gravity uh, yeah. in terms of maneuvering your characters and should that just be one skill or like I've like, is that sufficiently different? Like, I mean, you know... Uh, See, I, I get that, because, yeah. you
1: know, it is saying something about your character's past. But, I mean, like... And, obviously, how powerful is every skill in the setting? I I, I also get that as well. But, ultimately, the most powerful skill in any setting is lie. <laughs> this
0: is your... Uh, yeah, I mean, I've seen I that. mean, this yeah. is not me. No. This
1: is an absolute truth amongst all RPG gaming. Like, you yeah. can do more with a lie mm-hmm. than you could do with any combat skill. And I will... Unless there's a setting in which, like, talking is not allowed, which I assume is 40K.
0: Actually, you can talk at 40K. It's heresy. Do you want to play
1: some more around Not murdering something. Uh, But, you know, unless it is a (laughs) we merely kill uh, RPG, uh, you know, the ability to lie is Mm -hmm. the superpower in pretty much every RPG. Yeah. Yeah.
0: Um yeah being able cuz it comes down to characters like and cuz then you have whatever yeah. skills
1: the NPCs you're manipulating have like it's a, it's a force <laughs> multiplier yeah yeah, yeah.
0: uh <laughs> it's mind control it's not mind control um, <clears throat> yeah i think for me um like yeah, there's certain skills that are more prominent, like what is your game primarily about? And like in Aliens, they just boil it down to 12 skills and said, these are what the game is about and that's mm-hmm. it. But other RPGs will have like a more varied skill set because like in some cases, I think mm-hmm. in Eclipse Face 2nd Edition, it's because they want to be it's sci-fi, but like there's multiple types. They specifically say there's three campaign archetypes. You could be gate crashers, you can be firewall, you know, gate crashers are the Stargate thing and uh, firewall is the secret agent thing and then criminal. You can be space cr- mm-hmm. you know, criminals and Um, not all those skills that that's a Venn diagram. It's not a circle. Like there's some skills that aren't. And so you need a broad skill list, but, um, I mean, a lot of RPGs though. Uh, I think their skill lists are still sort of controlled to a degree by legacy, you know? Uh, Yeah. 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 Um, and, like Delta green is still beholden to call Cthulhu because there's still a fucking ride skill in it. And, uh, it's, I mean, maybe in a 20, 1920s Cthulhu game, you could justify the ability to ride a horse, but, uh, I don't, I, I mean, I, I would like to see a justified, you know, true detective crossover, but uh, I don't. I know.
1: wonder what my ride skill is in real life. Well, according to Delta Green, it's ten percent. No, I've taken lessons though. Okay. So, but I remember almost nothing, and I hated every second of it. So okay. Well, you might have. I'm months. wondering if that's like a twenty or like a twelve. It's or- you,
0: I think it's like uh, add a D one D ten percent to your base. <laughs> so like it's somewhere between eleven and twenty percent. <laughs> okay. Well, yeah. all right. So yeah, I'll take that. Yeah, it's a better than me. I've I've never ridden a horse. So, yeah. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> um and of course because you have that that means you can ride a horse under normal circumstances without making a skill check you can just get on a horse and just go it's just when you're being shot at you have to make your skill test yeah so you'll die then (laughs) yeah um but yeah uh but going back to your what you were talking about with um you know rhetoric or like lying and stuff like that uh of course this is back a classic RPPR thing for us is talking about you know social skills being mind control which is something we dealt with a long time ago um and the idea is like uh should your character be as talented as uh you are in terms of rhetoric uh and for me i i mean my my delineations between player characters and non-player characters so like uh, you you can you can be you know a social klutz in real life and still be a very suave character uh, against NPCs if you have high social skills because you also can't you know cast fireball spells or uh, yep, pilot yep. a giant robot but. Yeah, my my line is against other player characters because they still have agency as players because it's a game and a social contract.
1: Well, I think everyone agrees with that. No, Uh, they don't. I mean, everyone should agree with that (laughs) and the other people are wrong. Um, For me, when it gets to rhetoric skills, um, and what I find interesting in a lot of games nowadays, not even having a lie check, not even having a deception skill uh, or or any kind of that, Um, in the way that it used to be in the 80s, just be like, you know, how good you look determines everything about mm-hmm. your level of persuasiveness, which I'm also not for, but also leaving it out. Because, like, I also kind of do like that, mm-hmm. um, because I've always said that there is a hard limit on how much you can abstract a rhetorical skill in a game about talking to each mm-hmm. other. Because, you know, if you have a 99 percentile in lie and you go in, is like, I lie to him. And the, the GM's like, what? I lie lies about things that aren't true to get what I want. I was like, okay, what are those things? Yeah.
0: Lying things. And like, okay, you're ruining story. at yeah, that yeah. Point. Like, well, it's, it, I mean, that, that's actually a pretty good now. So I defeat the enemy in combat how which is terrible like which is yeah which is bad yeah Yeah, which is bad
1: storytelling like it is my hit points do no damage to your hit points like yeah yeah you can mock how stupid my fucking uh you know wound tables are in red markets and i completely understand that's deeply 80s but it's like (laughs) as a dm i fucking hate when like my numbers hit your numbers and numbers go off because like God, that's bad storytelling. Like, mm-hmm. yes, everyone gets shot in the legs. I know it's ridiculous in red markets, but at least they got shot somewhere, and you can roleplay. Fuck my knee, like, and <laughs> say something about that because I hate it when it's just like, yeah, the numbers are mm-hmm. less than they were. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's just it's not. Right. And and with rhetoric, I think it becomes like not just annoying; it becomes like game breaking. Yeah. Like, when somebody's like, "I am the moon," and you have to like,
0: well, well, ne- that's a specific lie.
1: Yes, at least at least there's that, but like it very much like is going to color the world in a way that mm-hmm. like people didn't sign up for with the theme, possibly like, sure. If it if it uh, becomes that willy nilly and every NPC is sure. that... Fucking if it, if stupid, it's like, if it's
0: if it's a fake game where it's a little larger than life that 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 can cyber if you're doing a dirty world yeah that
1: would be awful like, even
0: five tens would not be enough to the, the, convince people you are the moon yes yes like, it it would be impossible to do that so uh-huh. um I mean yeah there there is there is that um I I mean yeah I. I did not think social skills are uh, obviously important in games, but they're they're God, yeah. It it comes back to like being able to craft narrative as a collaborative thing, like um,
1: yeah. And I don't want to like actually grade someone's speech before mm-hmm. the senate or something before they roll persuade, um, but I, I do want to hear basically what they say rather than just like mm-hmm. good speech, yeah, <laughs> like which is not very compelling to me, yeah.
0: Like I think it was like. <clears throat> One thing maybe a lot of groups don't do uh, that I've seen a lot before is that they aren't very explicit about what they want to happen next. Like what, like they say, I want to. I'm going to tell them that that Bob stole the 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 guild's money, not me. I'm going to tell them that Bob was the one on watch and he stole the money. And like, uh, but. He's really, you know, what the player really wants is not just for Bob to be framed for the crime, but like that Bob's uh, uh brother who is also on watch would be, you know, he like to, the he, Sean issue, yeah, 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 the Sh- yeah. <laughs> like the idea, like what the player has in their mind isn't being translated, the rest of the table isn't getting it, and yeah, no, yeah, no disconnect, they um, don't work backwards with what they want to happen and then yeah. try and
1: organize a scene to make that happen, yeah, um, yeah, that's an issue, uh, that I see quite a bit um the moving backwards. The thing I would like to see put in mm-hmm. all role playing games regarding if we're gonna keep talking about rhetoric skills, mm-hmm. is that um if we're talking about abstraction, mm-hmm. I really like it. And I've I've basically snuck this into pretty much every game I've run since mm-hmm. I've been thinking of it. I really like making the role and then role playing the role because there's nothing better as a role playing challenge than like, oh fuck, Nat 1. <laughs> That's a good idea. Yeah, yeah. Now, now you give the Nat one worthy speech. It gives you more. Like, yeah. it, it could be like, all right, what are you trying to do? What's the worst possible version of doing that? Or like, what's you killing it? Or what's you kind of like roll to
0: console the widow? Yeah. One. What are you, what are you doing tonight? <laughs> yeah. yeah. Fucking get over it. Yeah. Yeah. He, uh, it, yeah. He's he's dead. <laughs> and he blew up. We don't even have to bury him. <laughs> Yeah, yeah exactly you'll save on that yeah
1: i really like that um it's already cremated like the first time i did that was in better angels when you guys were like uh rolling to get candidates to replace a job mm-hmm. and you like would roll like two ones they yeah. were like i don't believe in that half angled english <laughs> for an english teacher like yeah. book learning leads to deviltry. <laughs> like uh that that stuff is really fun and like I know it's extremes, but like it, it's a, it's a more interesting role-playing challenge. Mm-hmm. I really like the idea of like, all right, the, the purpose of your role-playing skill is to abstract it. Mm-hmm. But once you've abstracted it, you got to go back and make a story out of it and mm-hmm. like, okay, make your role first and then do what you want. What would have accomplished that for the NPCs yeah. in the world? Yeah,
0: and and this doesn't just apply to rhetoric too. Like it applies to there. There is obviously this whole thing about RPGs about the the, the real world versus the RPG world. And so like, there's a lot of times when the, there's one person at the table who's better at a technical thing than everybody else. Like for example, guns. And then like, you know, there there's that kind of di- it, you know what I mean? It's like similar. yeah,
1: but like there's stuff like technical and monologue and like uh, well
0: that's well that's the problem is like when you're trying to use this technical skill that you're Character has, and you don't have it, but someone else at the table has it. Yeah. And, like calls you out on it. You yeah. Know? Like, uh, there, yeah, but I, I do like the
1: movement yeah. making that more on the player side because that's what mm-hmm. a DM has to do. Like, that's what I was doing in all, like, when I first started DMing and I was like playing stuff like Dirty World, like deeply abstract. Yeah. I'd still have to describe, like, okay, they got a certain amount of success. What does that look like? And I would like describe specific wounds and like, yeah, stuff, like, or like, specific facial expressions or how somebody reacted if they got hit on a certain rhetorical tract or Mm -hmm. um because that's not in the game but that's what a dm has to do to like paint a picture and i I really like uh sharing the load yeah i really i I really like it that games are becoming somewhat more explicit it's like it's your job to describe what Mm -hmm. that success or failure looks like Mm -hmm. and then the dm can add to it but
0: yeah yeah don't make the dm do have all the cognitive load yes yeah. yeah um yeah but again yeah uh that i mean that is a good way of helping with that because and also when there is sort of a disagreement. Don't try and make it like you can't do that because you don't have the tech. You can't, you, well, you, you fucked up your techno. You don't know enough about MP fives to really do a techno thriller monologue about it. Like, yeah. uh, so you don't get the benefit. Like, don't do that. Just like, Oh, they actually work like this and blah, blah, blah here. Then still give them the benefit because
2: like, but also
1: we have like laws of narrative, like, yeah. you know, go to the internet firearms database. Like yeah. we watched a movie last night where a guy fired fucking 12 shots out of a revolver <laughs> without reloading. Like, um, stories are not typically ruined by like a lack of mechanical verisimilitude, yeah, like it can be pointed out, and yeah. it's going to be a definite a definite negative, mm-hmm. uh, but like the one guy who like watched aliens and like, well, that pulse rifle m- fired this many shots, whereas mm-hmm. this pulse rifle, rifle rolled really this many shots. So there's an inconsistent level of rounds mm-hmm. in the magazine. that that guy was never going to enjoy any film. Not to (laughs) me. Like, but, but movies where the plot doesn't make any fucking Mm -hmm. sense are always going to be an issue. And like, that's where you get into like rhetorical skills. Yeah. Then you get into idiot plotting. Like the only way this story moves forward is by people being painfully dumb. Like, Oh, like a JJ Abrams. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. Like, (laughs) And you're sort of, you know, when you abstract too much on the rhetorical sides of things, I feel like that's what happens in the world. Like, the NPCs become so stupid uh, that that they don't really paint
0: anything. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, I mean... For me, yeah so like obviously it's a clever thing if you're the technical expert, don't be a dick about it and have fun like in aliens by the way, they actually have a thing about ammo that's it's narrative like you you, you have enough you have ammo until you like fail a stress roll perfect you, yeah. your gun roll yeah. so it's very very uh, uh, narrative and that's what I'm talking about like yeah. skills are getting
1: better because they yeah. are learning where to abstract without going mm-hmm. too far yeah
0: um, but another thing for me that is like what happens when the player character has certain knowledge? that would inform their decision-making that the player clearly doesn't. So if you like, if you're playing a, uh, a, your player character is a master general and no, and has maxed out strategy and tactical skills and all this other stuff. And the player's trying to lead a, a, a you know, a squad of soldiers in a battle. And he says, well, just charge. And like, <laughs> you're like you as a GM is like, that's the light charge of the light brigade. <laughs> well, that sounds cool. Let's do that. It's like, no, don't do the charge of the light brigade. Well that's yeah.
1: a that's a setting mastery thing. Yeah. So like I get it in that case, but in that case, you didn't do the assigned reading. Yeah. Let your GM come up with something vaguely plausible. Like yeah. they can help you out with the abstraction there because you didn't, you know, learn about the historical, you know, battle of or don't charge 1212. 12. Yeah, exactly like yeah. that. Um or, or at least make a justification. Is like they won't see it coming. Like they're yeah. poorly trained troops; they'll break. Even though it's a dumb idea, that I'm gambling on their morale. Like at, at least something like that. But like that's what blows my mind. Is like people don't do the setting research, or they miss sessions, and then like the GM's like, "Well, this would work," and then they just like, "No, fuck that." Yeah. Gonna do it my way. That won't work. And I'm like. <laughs> and then when it doesn't work, yeah, yeah, it's like okay well <laughs> uh, i can invalidate the entire premise of the campaign or i can tell you it doesn't work like i told you it wasn't gonna work and it didn't work like yeah that's a point where you need to bring in people who did the homework I yes guess. i mean uh, but
0: yeah i mean like what uh, yeah i guess that's another yeah what what kind of homework is uh, appropriate i mean i mean obviously it depends on what kind of game you're trying to run um like do you want to if it's a fun and light game that's you know uh, not very realistic or has versimilitude, you know, maybe not much, but like, if you're trying to do like, Oh, we're going to do this historical campaign. We're going to do this very in-depth thing, you know, like here's like, what do you, uh, um, what would you feel is appropriate to assign, like to say yeah. to players before a game as like, try to know this shit before we start.
1: Yeah. I don't know. Like the, the main problem is when there's a disconnect and you're not like, Didn't Cody sit in on a game of No Evil one time, like the first session? Yeah, like no, it was like the second session. Oh yeah, yeah, and he he died in like the first hour. Yeah, because like, because like, we'd all read the book at that point, and we'd played multiple games of it at that point, and we not have this, too like, many, but yeah, but like enough to know, like he was like saying, "I'm going to use my space ray gun," like yeah, it's uh, we don't, yeah, it's not super effective, <laughs> <laughs> like and they were like it's hard sci-fi, and then like you're, ex- I'm trying to explain this like deeply lore based virus I came up with, mm-hmm. and he's like, "What." What's a cortical stack? And I'm like, fuck. Like, like that is, that's a point where you have to be like, okay, take the reins person who did the reading and is Mm -hmm. up with it. but And that's when abstraction could be really good. Mm -hmm. But, um, yeah, and I hate being like that, like, with, like, stupid lore's like well no actually ten thousand years ago it was General Blorfus who was part of the good old Blorfus. Yeah, like when you get into the, like the weeds on that shit, that mm-hmm. is also sucks. But um yeah. it's also really terrible mm-hmm. if you know you're playing Knights Black Agent. You know, I use my, you know, spy wristwatch and you're not doing like the 007 version. Yeah. Like, you know, you've
0: you've ruined the tone by not I mean I speaking of Knights Black Agent, um I actually as a thing about versimilitude, like I watched the black widow trailer recently and they have that shot of her going through holding, like she has a half dozen passports all with her photo on it, you know, all her fake identities. Yeah, And I'm like, even me as a, as a dilettante in the world of espionage, (laughs) as I've read some books about it, you know uh, I know that doesn't work anymore. Like biometric technology is so advanced now that you can't like, Glue a photo to a passport, but <laughs> they you have to. It ha, that passport has to work to has to correspond to something in a computer database somewhere, champ. Yeah, like it's not going to fucking work. They have facial recognition now, uh-huh. Um, and so for me, it's like if a player says, "Well, I just have I pull out another fake passport," like if this game is set in the here and now, it's like that's not going to work, champ. What are you going to do? Like, yeah, I, go into the bilge pump of a like trawler and yeah. then
1: escape out onto a dock, maybe. Like, yeah, it's it's gotten more. It's gotten more low yeah. <laughs> low
0: tech. Yeah. Or hack a computer database. Yeah, so exactly, like your yeah. your thing is there. And so um for me, that's gonna be my problem with learning espionage games now. Is like it's just like even the fiction that we see in big movies now doesn't match what the reality is in very, very obvious ways. I mean, like,
1: Yeah. Um and again, I think that's a matter of abstraction. Like, mm-hmm. so the one thing I would worry about with the way skills are going, because I'm not, I think they're way better than they used to be. Yeah would be, uh, you know, with the level of abstraction and with the amount of work that's being put on the players justifiably to help build the image, it can make, um, maintaining the tone of a game, mm-hmm. uh, more difficult for the GM. And I know even saying that is heresy because like, it should be whatever it wants to be. And like, okay, okay, well, I hope you're fine with never running Delta Green again because it's going to turn into a joke yeah, in a matter of minutes. <laughs> It's gonna be wacky schmackity do comedy, like, and that's fine for a couple sessions. But mm-hmm. if you want to run like the actual campaign of it, like,
0: sometimes you if have, you want to get a true detective move. Yeah, sometimes yeah. you
1: have to police the tone to get a tone that you want, mm-hmm. and like, that is that's about player buy in and session zeros. And I think also people are being great with that. But mm-hmm. like, if you skip that step, the abstracted skill direction that we're going in can make it, yeah you know you know what's when your skill is just move good like yeah what does that look like and your is that parkour is that gymnastics is that batman shit is that is it perception
0: alertness or awareness yeah,
1: yeah yeah exactly uh yeah so it that's the only downside i see of it Now, it's not one that is an actual downside cuz yeah. the the answer is you know robin laws talk to each other yeah yeah um but you know as what? we've seen with gamers, well, that can thing. be an issue. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> uh,
0: no, that's true. Uh, uh, obviously. But, like, um, for me, another thing that I've been thinking about, the more I think about skills, is like, what is a skill as opposed to like, an ability or a power or a feat, because like in terms of like, you know, you look at D and D like characters have like various categories of things they can do. And like some of them are skills. Some of them are feats and feats are sort of a binary. Either you have it or you don't, you don't have to make a role to do it. It just, it, it like modifies something you do like power attack and modifies your attack. Yeah. Um. Or if it's a spell, it's a, or a magical ability. It's something you just do. You don't have to like, there's different mechanics for each. Like skills are often like you always you either don't have to test. Like the the standard for skills seem to be if it's a routine task you don't have to test. If it is something challenging you have to make some. You sort know of anyone test.
1: dying walking downstairs like
0: rollmaster? Well, uh, yeah. Well, well, I got my rollmaster books in the back. You want to break those buddies <laughs> out for the maneuver critical failure table? No. Yeah. There's a depression critical hit table. Did you know that? Oh, God.
1: <laughs> I, I didn't know it was in that book, but I knew about it <laughs> yeah. deeply. Did you just roll Personally, on it? Personally, yes.
0: <laughs> um. So, like, that's the thing. Like, how do you categorize as a game designer, as a GM, like, what is a power versus what is a skill? I mean, and obviously, to a degree, this is dependent on the genre and the tone you want for your game. But there's there's some sort of, like, like... Chemistry, high school chemistry is not a superpower in most times.
1: Yeah, I think you're communicating with like with an attribute or something that is like nat, like strength decks with mm-hmm. that kind of stuff. Um you're commu- or
0: cool or whatever. Yeah, you're the, communicating the
1: natural work. gifts. Yeah. Um with skills, you're communicating uh trained education, trained, you know, education, training, um, experience, life experience. You're building yeah. a resume, so to speak. But I think from a game design perspective, however you justify it in the uh, setting, whether it's, like, the morph you're using in Eclipse phase that has mm-hmm. a special ability or it's the... Implant, yeah. Yeah, or it's, yeah, that, or it's going to be whatever fantasy race bonus you have in a d Yeah, that kind of stuff. Yeah. I think that is the game designer explicitly communicating niche protection, like... Mm. You need, Mm -hmm. you know, this is the thing that always goes off Mm -hmm. that you have to invest a lot in, but it will constantly do this bonus or it will do this thing every time. Yeah. Uh, And I think that very much becomes about niche protection, which is interesting because that's why uh, Apocalypse World. Games skip skills entirely Mm -hmm. because everything becomes a feat or a move, and yeah, but it's specific about character class. Like, I think that's why a lot of people like Apocalypse World, Dungeon World, Mm -hmm. Blades into Dark, stuff like Monster the Week is because niche protection is like un unassailable. Like, there's no multi-classing. There's no anything. You have attributes which rarely come into play unless you don't know how else to roll it with a move. Yeah, and then you jump over skills entirely. And you move straight to it's absolute niche protection. It's absolute ensemble casting. So I've always used powers and feats as like the game designer communicate. Mm-hmm. So like in red markets, mine is the, um, the tough spot. Yeah. Like that's your class. Like yeah. that's, that's your thing. Like and that, what's interesting about the tough that spots, you get a bonus yeah. every time, mm-hmm. uh, and a negative every time, but it's very much like a niche protection. This yeah. is your thing. Yeah.
0: And, uh, yeah, the tough spots are interesting because you use a variety of game mechanics for them. Some of them are, like, the one-time bonuses of the broaches. Yeah. Uh, some of them are always on passive major modifiers like the latent. And then the other one is, like, uh, the most interesting one mechanically, I think, is the hustler always succeeding on network checks. But, like, with the additional cost of every, every session. Because, <laughs> yeah. like, you really use that in Fallen Flag to your advantage. Oh, yeah. You have I to mean, sell everything. Yeah, like.
1: it's great. Yeah, it, It's great until they're, like, you owe me this many pounds. And you're, like, fuck. <laughs> yeah yeah it's basically. it's it's absolutely great and it absolutely sucks yeah yeah but that's
0: a character mm-hmm. in
1: like most post-apocalyptic fiction the mm-hmm. the guy who knows somebody the mm-hmm. guy who, you know who the can, fixer yeah yeah uh and that would be it like uh well you know
0: <clears throat> speaking about this i i realize there there's an interesting game design space where we sort of question some of these assumptions and i like to see for example imagine like some sort of fantasy rpg where everybody is like the same, like, well, let's say what they're all dwarves and dwarves in D and D, like have dark vision. That's just it. They yeah. all have it. They all have it. Uh, 60 feet or 120 feet, whatever it fucking is. What if everyone's a dwarf and dark vision becomes a skill? And so some dwarves are shitty at dark vision. <laughs> some of them, like they have near dark vision, you know, they need their dark glasses to see farther in the dark or whatever. Um, and some of them are just eagle eyed with their dark vision. And I so,
1: play a dwarven optometrist. Exactly. Yeah, yeah. Yeah.
0: And that's just one way. And like, there's, there's other dwarven, uh, uh traits like like being able to tell where secret doors are and like you know every maybe there's a very so like by questioning something that is like that's an interesting interesting thing as a player because like a lot of times as a player when I'm playing a game I I I psychologically depend on those few things that I know will guaranteed to work. Like if I, if I know that I can succeed on those networking skill checks or if I could, because I have this moxie point or whatever, I can just flip that and I, I don't have to worry about this. Like I don't have to roll the fucking dice and like, uh, possibly fail yet again for the, uh, you know what I mean?
1: Yeah. Uh, I know it's, like, debunked and not true, but, like, the old Inuit thing, like, they have Mm -hmm. 20 words for snow. Like, Mm -hmm. it's very different if, like, the Inuit player will always succeed at snow identification Mm -hmm. versus the all-Inuit game where it's, like, he's not so great at snow identification. Yeah. But she was top of her class (laughs) in type of snow identification. We will know which ice to walk on Mm and which not to – like – Um, Yeah, you know, the gradient changes based on the context of the party. Yeah, yeah. But but yeah, yeah, I do think those powers and feats and, and, you know, background bonuses and things are are almost entirely about trying to communicate a niche protection or like the class structure Mm -hmm. of the society that the game takes place in. Yeah. Yeah.
0: Um, another thing with skills uh, is also, like I mentioned earlier, trap choices, but like you know, the ones that are just shitty things that you shouldn't pick because you'll weaken yeah, your character. Yeah. But, like sometimes players, uh, a lot of games and a lot of players uh, I've seen. Use some of these as a role playing thing to be like, well, I chose this skill not because it'll help me, but because I think it's interesting for my character. Like I took an art skill for my D anD D fighter because he's a he likes painting landscape paintings. You know, I could have spent it on crafting weapons or survival and been a better you know murder hobo, but I want him to be a fucking painter in his spare time. Um, Sometimes
1: it's built in there by the designers, like yeah. Greg Stolzey's cobbling role, yeah, uh, on random character generation in <laughs> Rain. Of which we had two master cobblers yeah. in our party, and we solved most problems, if at all possible, with
0: shoes. Yeah. Uh,
1: yeah. Yeah. No. I think that's interesting. Like, yeah. I do love a character like David who will min-max some utterly useless skill <laughs> just to just to say that they are the best haberdasher in the five <laughs> kingdoms. Um Yeah.
0: So do you think uh, more RPGs should ac- like accommodate that, make that easier to do, or make it like... Do you think it, a game is better if it like makes that a sacrifice, like you make your character less effective at the overall procedural conflict, whether it's investigating or fighting, or do you think that should be like a free thing? Everyone should get some sort of personalization. But if everyone has that personalization, is it really meaningful? You know what I mean?
1: Yeah, I don't know. Um, I, I'd kind of like to see... <laughs> Like, uh, uh, what if you did a skill quadrant in the game?
0: Oh, yeah? So
1: there were two axes. Mm-hmm. There was, like, useful and useless. Mm-hmm. And then there was uh, very good, very bad. And you were <laughs> only allowed to put in certain skills in certain quadrants. Oh, okay. So, like, if you, if you want to be, like, fucking great at sword fighting, well, that's useful and very good quadrant. But now you're up on that quadrant. Oh, yeah. So you're going to have to go over to useful and dumb. And that's why you are like the sword fighting cake boss. <laughs>
2: <laughs> okay. And yeah. then,
1: like, oh, you're going to have to put this skill over into uh, useful and you're shit at it. So, mm-hmm. like, you also can't
0: do math. Like- <laughs> oh, wow. That's a really interesting game design solution to that. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. No, I really like that. Uh, by making every single skill a choice. Like- yeah.
1: You got to put it in one of these quadrants. <laughs>
0: No. Uh, That actually made me uh, think of something else because, like, if you th- read about experts in a given field, you'll hear, hear like, "Oh, this guy is the best at this particular aspect of it." But yeah. this guy, oh, this person over here, she's really good at this part, you know. Mm-hmm. Like, uh, but in RPGs, that's often abstracted as just one score. You're just like, if you have an eighty percent in the skill, you're super good at it. But like, yeah, if you go to a conference of all these experts, they're like, oh, that guy's shit at that part, you know. Oh, this, you know, like if you go to like antique appraisers, you'd be like, oh, that person's only good at like furniture. This person's good at paintings, you know. See,
1: but, I view that as like. A tool for GMs to get off, get by, like when mm-hmm. it's like I didn't, I almost said get off, which is a, <laughs> a bad, bad thing for games. Uh, but like, if a really good, if a player who's min-maxed and really good at a certain skill fails anyway, mm-hmm. like for me, that's the narrative way mm-hmm. to duck that. It's like, oh well, this is. Early oh, you need a specialization. Oh, this is early Aztec. And yeah, yeah. you know, you you were having a rough semester. You're there. a medievalist. Yeah, you were having a rough semester that year. Yeah. And, yeah, you know, that was not your best. You fucking class. read the
0: Necronomicon in Latin. <laughs> I, you don't know shit about the
1: Aztecs. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Like that's the uh that, yeah. that's I for you, that's your get
0: out of free. Pass. Delta Green does have that with the specializations. Yeah. Um, but yeah. Um, so some RPGs do have that to a degree and like you, you even have that to a degree with red markets, the professions like, yeah, yeah, uh, for your, yeah, like howitzers and things like that. But, um, yeah, I don't know. I feel like there's more like that quadrant things could be a way to do that. Like if you break down every skill, like, you know, you have 12 skills, but maybe there's four specializations within each or four quadrants for each one. So like,
1: well. uh, Another thing of those trap skills, some of them there, like, specialization is not a good idea in red markets for the majority of the time. Because, mm-hmm. like, otherwise you just take five points and shoot, and then you're, like, good with a crossbow and a Barrett and a cannon. But you and have no emotional Laser capacity. rifle, but you have no emotional capacity to do anything. And people would do that because I had Tom Church as a play tester. <laughs> uh, and so what I did was, like, specializations are, like, you want to use a really cool gun? Awesome you're going to have to buy your shoot skill, then you're going to have to buy an equivalent number of specialist yeah. skill, and you're basically going to be paying double for every skill point you have in it. Mm-hmm. And then that will make you min-max. And if you're fucking great with a Barrett assault rifle, like, anti material rifle, if you're not the dude at the Virginia rally and you're actually good with it, and you can, you know, pop a zombie's head off from like, two kilometers out, that's going to be super fucking useful. I also don't want you to be great at sword fighting, too. Yeah. <laughs> like, or, yeah, so... Um, that, that's a trap special, mm-hmm. but it it's, it's a trap because I want the specialist to be actual specialists, not mm-hmm. min maxed mutant and mastermind characters who are fucking good at everything. Yeah. yeah.
0: Uh, and you also like in red market say p- players have to be versatile to a certain degree because you say you have to pay skill points. <sighs> uh, you have to choose to be like able to resist emotional trauma. Like, <laughs> yes. You need self-control. Like yeah. you have to choose to, if you don't have that, you're going to have a bad time. <laughs> yeah. Like, uh, and that's a, and some games would just make that an automatic thing. Like Delta Green, you don't have a sanity resisting skill; you just have a sanity attribute. Well, you got willpower. Yeah, willpower. Yeah, but that's an attribute. That's not you can't choose to ma- You uh, can
1: spend it though.
0: Yeah, you can spend. They
1: it. they at least do that. Yeah.
0: Yeah, but the, see, that's again, that's not a skill. That's a that's a yeah. that's a that's a resource mm-hmm. that the character has, uh, and uh, we well, and then of course you have your ablative, uh, uh, <laughs>
1: yeah, your ablative family armor. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> Strap your children to your mind. <laughs> <laughs> to block the blows. <laughs> uh
0: good times. Yeah. Um but yeah, it's um an interesting uh uh design space. So, um yeah, I, I I yeah, I think uh um are you I I agree with you in general that RPGs are in a much better place in terms of skills like Design philosophy than they were, you know, 15 years ago. Yeah, we live in a golden age. Yeah, we do. Uh, There's a lot of really interesting games coming out. Uh, And, you know, like, for example, I mean, and and like, you don't even need skills per se. Like, for me, I'm like working on Ruin and there's not going to be like skills because like, it doesn't really matter what skills characters have because they're in a weird labyrinth that with its own rules and stuff like that. So like, um, it doesn't matter if you have architecture as a, you know, my character is an architecture professor. Well, this isn't normal architecture. You've never studied this. You're starting (laughs) from ground zero like everyone else. Um, and that's sort of the design philosophy for it. So, um, but yeah, I mean, just in general, um, If you're, if you, do you have any other further advice for people running games, uh, in terms of like modifying the skill mechanics for their games? Like if they're, if you're running a fifth ed D and D game, would you, uh, have any advice for somebody, uh, in terms of like, oh, I want my game to reflect, be a little, not just a a standard game. Like, uh, like, I don't know. Uh, anything comes to mind?
1: Just find if you're the DM, just find a way to describe it. Yeah. God, I don't care how so. Like, focus on the narrative. I don't care how wackety schmackety do the power is, or if you're using grid combat. But if it's mm-hmm. the phasal mind stab of Ithilacore, like <laughs> find some way to describe to me what that fucking feels like, looks like. Mm-hmm. Just don't be all like, five senses. Yeah, it don't. Yeah, it doesn't. Just don't do numbers mm-hmm. to other numbers. Like um, same thing, and especially when it comes to rhetoric and things like that mm-hmm. that are actual like communications because like as much as we would like to abstract everything and like we don't have to actually be a sword fighter to play a sword fighter in a game mm-hmm. you have to actually be able to talk in a game about talking yeah <laughs> so like don't abstract that stuff too much and wonder why the story's dumb yes yeah. you need to have you know some actual stakes around what
0: people say and mm-hmm. choose to do with their actions so yeah um i mean for me i think uh i mean obviously that is really good advice Uh, one thing you can do is maybe like come up with a few house rules to create a few unique skills as options for player characters when they're making them to reflect something unique about it. Like if you're doing a dark sun kind of campaign, like, Oh, well here's, uh, the special, the sand, uh, uh, riding skill. If you want to be able to be one of the few expert sand gliders who have these basically like hang, you know, hang gliders that can glide over the sand piles. You you want to be one of those pilots. You can take that as an option or as a, as a skill or a background or whatever. Um, or like two or three other things to like sort of un- uniquely set your uh, campaign apart. Um, or one thing you could also do is like make unique skills as a reward for like certain, like qu- instead of giving them treasure, be like, Oh, well the people of this isolated tribe will teach you their, your, you know, their forest magic or their forest lore as their, as their, uh, reward. Yeah. So like, um, that's another thing, secret knowledge. That could be a cool thing. Um, but yeah, um, yeah. Skills and RPGs. They're pretty neat. Um, so, uh, when we get back, we'll have some shout outs. we're back uh by the way no shout or no anecdotes this week because uh we i've been running an eclipse space campaign i am afraid if any anecdote i give about that would be spoilers for it so i don't want to uh uh ruin the surprise of all the criminal shenanigans they're doing they're doing space crimes
1: and i'm just writing god's teeth so y'all heard that already yeah not not much to report
0: it's it's going great yeah it's you're getting words down.
1: Very sad. Yeah. Lots of typing.
0: <laughs> yeah. Um, but anyways, we do have some shout-outs. Uh my first one is a book called The Red Red Thread. It's a book about uh, labyrinths and mazes. Um it is uh I was it's an excellent book. It is as I was reading through it, uh I, I, I got about halfway through and I was like, man, this is a really Meandering book that just goes from topic to topic without. Oh, like, uh, <laughs> I don't know what I expected. Uh, uh, so yeah, if you want to learn more about the mythological, they, there's a lot about the you know the original, the OG labyrinth in Greek mythology and uh, Ariadne uh, and Theseus and the Minotaur and uh, uh, Crete and all that and Minos um, and also you know references in England, you know r- labyrinths in. Uh, 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 turf labyrinths in uh, England and all that stuff. And in cathedrals there was a whole thing in the Middle Ages. They just put a labyrinth in the center of the, the floor of the cathedral. That was the thing. Like it was just on tile. You could, Oh, okay. You just like, follow the pattern. What was the, what was the point of that? Just meditation. Think about God. <sighs> just- okay.
1: I thought you meant like actually getting lost. Like trying to find the tithing <laughs> plate. Like no, it doesn't seem optimal. As there were the a lot of garden
0: ones in the 17th century, 18th century. Oh well, yeah, yeah, to hunt your servant
1: somewhere.
2: <laughs> well,
0: also you can't just have them run around a field; that's too easy. I think it was more for like you know sneaking out with your mistress. Uh, but you know, maybe a little both. <laughs> yeah. So, uh, but yeah, you just walk. And the difference between a labyrinth and a maze is a labyrinth only has one path, uh, but a maze is the one that forks, and you know. Uh, also, I, I uh, they had a really good section about the Garden of Forking Paths, the Borgia story. Oh, yeah. Yeah, it was really good. So anyways, if you want to learn about Labyrinths, read the Red Thread because, you know, Labyrinths. You'll get there eventually. <laughs> yes. Thank you. Yeah, that's exactly it. Uh, what's your first shout out, Caleb?
1: Uh, I'm currently reading The Testaments by Margaret Atwood. It's the sequel to The Handmaid's Tale. Mm-hmm. Uh, I haven't quite finished it yet, but um, it's interesting. I don't... I don't want to say YA Gilead, but I'm going to. Like, It's a lot simpler in construction mm-hmm. than The Handmaid's Tale. Uh, Handmaid's Tale, uh, as you know, everyone knows for a book written in the 80s, um, is from a single perspective, but it's over multiple timelines mm-hmm. because it is meant to be transcripts of tapes hidden inside other tapes. So recording over coral. Mm -hmm. Things And the tapes are unlabeled, so they're in a shoebox. Mm -hmm. So it's meant to be jumbled and not narratively consistent as it's a single person's thoughts across multiple timelines. Um, And then there's the famous last chapter, which takes place after the fall of Gilead. Mm -hmm. And, you know, it's sort of interesting in that they regard Gilead as like this horribly backwards place. But then the historians are just like, well, obviously, we can't trust this woman's portrayal of it. Because, you know, it disagrees with the official records of the known lying plutocrat patriarchs. <laughs> and, like, it's the same sort of misogyny that led to Gilead. But it's, mm. you know, on the left and sort of, like, yeah. liberal look down upon. Like, well, she was a simple, uneducated, you know, sex-trafficked slave. And so, I had a lot of postmodernism. And like nonlinear storytelling, this one's a pretty linear. uh, Mm -hmm. It's from three different perspectives, uh, but the the language is much simpler, um, and the. The structure of the plot is uh, very simple, much more simple on uh, this time. There's only one large flashback section so far, mm-hmm. um, but it's still very good. But it's a lot simpler to read. Like, okay, as a person who's taught the original book, it mm-hmm. is uh, it's a much more
0: simple. Do you read. need to read the Handmaid's Tale before you read this? Oh yes, okay. yes you do. <laughs> uh,
1: but um, but that's the thing. I also think you could be fine if you'd watch the show. Okay. Which I think it might be kind of designed in that way, and or at least edited that way. Mm-hmm. Uh, but I, I'm not certain. But yeah, it's it's definitely less obtuse than the original book.
0: Yeah, it'd be interesting to see. But it's still very good. Yeah, like as a comparison, I'm very curious if 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 big if if George R R, R. Martin ever releases another uh, Game of Thrones novel, like um, if how like if we could tell how influenced it is by the TV show. Like, yeah. I mean, there is this whole thing about big novelists being influenced by <laughs> shows of their own work um so yeah i don't know
1: yeah i'm not sure um it it definitely takes as the the events of the previous book as writ and connects to it in a Mm -hmm. lot of more subtle ways yeah so it's not poorly written but it's it's much more simply written
0: okay yeah uh let's see here. next up i have a video game uh pagan autonomy uh it is a indie game uh, I saw it listed on a list uh, of twenty weird games that came out in twenty nineteen on Twitter that you should check out, and I looked them up, and that was one of them. It's basically you being put into a dead, abandoned MMO and exploring around, and it's got very sort of like PS one level graphics, and it's very creepy. It got weird music, uh, and it's very obtuse and mysterious. But uh, I don't know. I, I've, I it's it's a very much a atmospheric mood type game. It doesn't make sense per se but like i don't know i i, I messed around with a few hours and i enjoyed it so
1: i beat death stranding last night and i wouldn't understand anything about
0: that oh wow very
1: straightforward yeah to the point
0: yeah, yeah. Uh-huh.
1: <laughs> definitely definitely understood everything are you gonna happened. do are you
0: gonna try 100 percent that game no <laughs> no i no i will not are you are you done with it yes Aww. yes i am it was good yeah
1: i i don't know why <laughs> <laughs> uh yeah it's it makes no sense uh-huh. I, I understand the obtuse game you're like
0: kevin Costner. you know you're delivering the mail or something oh god yeah
1: man a postman game yeah would be real bad It's like wonderful. a postman
2: movie
0: oh wow <laughs> huge slam of the postman uh I'm sorry tom petty <laughs> i would
1: join your enclave
0: uh let's see here uh you had another uh shout out um,
1: I have been reading the new book by Randall Monroe, How To observe mm-hmm. uh, Scientific Answers to Everyday Questions. So I've also read his previous books. So Thing Explainer is very cool because they're complex diagrams, mm-hmm. uh, but he only uses the top 100 words in the English vocabulary to explain everything. Wow. So it's just like a diagram, like a engineer quality diagram of a rocket engine. It's like explody part, like, uh, (laughs) with the labels. Um, and then what if is like one of my favorite books, which is, you know, absurd, uh, realistic scientific answers to absurd hypothetical questions. Like, Mm -hmm. you know, what would happen? You know how how would a sarlacc digest people over a hundred fifty years? You know? Oh like, yeah, what would happen if you had a mole of moles in space? <laughs> like uh, ridiculous shit. But how to is just like how to do things, mm-hmm. um, and the they're pretty interesting because like it starts off very obvious. Like one of them is how to dig a hole. Yeah. And like it moves to increasingly complex How
0: do you dig a hole
1: ways of digging holes? Oh, uh, okay. Uh like and like it's like shovel. It's like this. And he moves on. And he's talking about like treasure hunting. Mm-hmm. And he talked about like the depth of hole that it would be worth of. Like you should just get a job digging holes if the treasure is not worth this much money because you would make more <laughs> per but hour. I, I mean, you don't know what the treasure's worth though. Yeah, yeah, I mean, yeah, but he yeah. talks about the money hole and, yeah, and yeah. things of that. Um, He talks about how to fill a pool and like, Mm -hmm. but it gets increasingly ridiculous. Like, Mm -hmm. so it's like order a pool, like, well, you can get a 32 pack of bottled water from Amazon for this amount of money. (laughs) So if you order this many packets of bottled water and use a machete to chop them open to increase your speed, you could (laughs) fill a pool in this amount of time, like the fastest way to build a pool. (laughs) Like, yeah. (laughs) Yeah. And so it just it gets increasingly ridiculous. Like, mm-hmm. how do you change a light bulb yeah, yeah. by attaching drones to your feet? Well, obviously, is on yeah. the cover. So, um, yeah, like all Randall Roll stuff, it's got pretty interesting science behind it, even mm-hmm. though it's utterly ridiculous in its base premise. Mm-hmm. So, um, yeah, I recommend it.
0: Okay, cool. Uh, I I kind of want to borrow that one when, when you're when. Uh, or did you get that from the library? Uh, no, I have it. Okay, yeah, it. yeah I'll, I'll check it out when you're done. Uh, Actually, I have another book uh, myself, uh, Japanese Video Game Obscurities. Uh, This was a Kickstarter book uh, from Hardcore Gaming 101, uh, and it's uh, just a list of games that never made it to America, and a lot of times for good reasons. Because there's some weird shit that Japan made for itself. Japan? Uh, yeah. No. No, yeah, no. Like, uh, you're playing monsters in a post-apocalyptic Earth, but aliens invade. And so you have to do traditional dungeon-crawling RPG things until you find out this actually isn't Earth. It's a, You're in Hell, and you're trying to ascend to Heaven. Uh, and you're not monsters. You're people who have been reincarnated as monsters. And you have to, like, karmic get to heaven kind of thing. It's so a Japanese game. It's a very Japanese thing. <laughs> um, another one where you're you're a man and a woman going around the world trying to collect two of every animal before a meteor destroys the planet. And you're putting them in an ark. And uh, Hitler's involved. And he, you have to kill him. I mean... <laughs> Uh, you, you have nothing to say to that
1: honestly that you're killing hitler is the least japanese thing in that <laughs> sense uh, yeah there's a lot of
0: weird games uh they're they're very interesting uh, they each each uh, little essay about them has photos or screenshots of them actually so you can see what the graphics were like uh covers all ages from the the famicom all the way to you know the ps2 or 3 or something like that so um yeah i i, I found it quite interesting so uh yeah uh, do you have any more shout outs um, I've been reading Kirkman's comic Oblivion Song.
1: Mm-hmm. I quite like it. It's a very gameable premise. Um, I forget the exact city, but like <clears throat> there is this horrific uh, interplanal merging of. Uh, like you do. Yeah, that like wipes out like 10 square miles of a city like just as it just. Forcibly merges with a different fungal dimension with all these terrifying like different mm-hmm. creatures. Um, and the the premise is not that happening. It is the guy who's trying to keep a uh private charity group funded to go over there and rescue the people. So basically there's a bunch of people who are missing mm-hmm. as a result of this horrible disaster that no one knows how it happened. Uh, and there's a giant wall of all the dead, uh, but he insists that they're not all dead. People are over there surviving in desperate straits because you know they're yeah. eating fungal creatures and trying not to be eaten by them, and like yeah. trying to survive in an alien environment. So a bit so, an
2: annihilation kind of vibe.
1: Well, they figured out. He's figured out how to actually do the travel safely mm-hmm. without merging the planes. And so what he does is he goes over there and tries to send people back, but like they're basically feral. Like (laughs) they've been surviving for three years in this utterly hostile chaos. And he has to, you have to protect yourself because like there's all sorts of weird spores. And so he's got to dress up like a sort of like cyberpunk guy. And like, Mm -hmm. so basically what ends up happening is that as his, as his organization gets less and less funded and he can send less and less people over there, Um, And they're over there longer, and so it's more difficult to find people. He ends up hunting them, like, with darts that send them back in dimension. (laughs) So he ends up hunting these people. And then, like, he and his two assistants have to, like, wrestle and subdue them as they freak out when they get back in reality. And then they have to try and – but, like – everyone thinks that everybody's over there dead. So he, he keeps on going over to try and bring people back. Mm-hmm. And then he'll like get arrested because he always goes to the memorial wall and chisels out the name of the people he rescued <laughs> to, to remind everybody that they just gave up on yeah. them. Um, but it gets increasingly, you know, intrigue. Mm-hmm. And there's a lot of interesting stuff in addition. Is this with, a
0: ongoing series or is it complete? Ongoing. Okay, um,
1: And there's yeah, you know, big find a society of the survivors and like there's mm-hmm. new weird monster things all the time but like it mainly focuses on like how shitty it is to run a nonprofit in a world <laughs> that won't give you funding like wow yeah at the beginning of it it's like crazy g- gonna go hunt people in the other dimension guy mm-hmm. um one woman who's a scientist who's like using all the samples he brings back to try and get medical grants and stuff And then a guy he rescued like a couple years ago. Oh, so who is the who is the husband of of the scientist? And he's still like horrifically traumatized and scarred. And like they're the only people working there. Like they work out of a bunch of disused storage units in the middle of a desert, in the middle of the void. Because like. Um, the rotations of the planets are the same. So mm-hmm. like when you drop, you drop down like mm-hmm. exactly where you're at in the other place. Mm-hmm. And so like there's all sorts of issues where like they're 15 feet up in the air mm-hmm. in the other world because like they're on some giant mushroom and so they end up plummeting to the ground <laughs> <Jesus>. <laughs> like hurting themselves. Or they're like, we can't transfer back here because we'd be underground and we would die. Like, yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. So it's it's pretty interesting.
0: Yeah. Wow. Interesting. How long has this been going on?
1: Uh, there's three volumes out on graphics. Uh, in graphic okay. novel form. Yeah, um, yeah. I'm not getting on comic book shops, but yeah. I like it. It's like it's better than Outcasts. I like it more than no, Kirkman's I'll, I'll, other stuff lately.
0: Okay, yeah. No, I I'm I'm very intrigued by it. Um so yeah, uh, I'll have to check it out. Um my uh, last shout out is a Netflix series that has not gotten much or any publicity as far as i can tell but um it's a uh, medical police it's a sequel to the adult swim show a children's hospital with rob cordry and uh, a bunch of his friends um and basically it goes from children's hospital and then two of the characters also become cops as well as being doctors and they have to fight <laughs> bioterrorists around the world and it's got the same level of humor where like my favorite gag is like oh no we 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 got the files we need and now we need to jump from this balcony onto oh look there's a a truck below with a mattress on it and then they've like walk, they just fucking face plant on the <laughs> ground It's like ah oh
2: oh god it hurts and they're just limping
0: and uh yeah no it's it's a uh, if you if you like that adult swim brand of uh, live action humor it's the exact same thing but yeah uh, uh netflix money baby um and yeah no i i like it so yeah uh, it's, it's children's like,
1: hospital was a-plus
0: show. Exactly. So, yeah, watch Medical Police. They, 3D printers are used to make viruses now. Um, <laughs> of course. Yeah, quite odd. Yeah. So, um, anyways, uh, this has been uh, episode 174. I am at Ross Payton on Twitter. You are
1: at heaven on gcal
0: yeah uh, also be don't forget to check out uh nightclericradio, uh dot com uh, we'll have links in the show notes um and also uh if you want to help support role playing public radio uh be go, be sure to go to patreon.com slash rppr where you can back and get a bonus podcast artwork uh, join our discord you can chat uh, ask us questions and uh it helps keep this podcast going so we and those of you who are patrons we deeply thank you for your support and uh, of course we'll be seeing you at origins and gen con this year um and uh yeah thank you uh we'll talk to y'all later
1: bye